0: When used correctly, public relations can make or break an organization. While everyone seems to know the term public relations, not everyone understands what it means. It's evolved into much more than sending the right messages to the right people at the right time. It's about relationship, narrative, strategy, tactics, logistics. So what is public relations? How is it different than marketing or advertising? And what are the key attributes that make a public relations expert truly effective? This is Campus on the Common, the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. Broadcasting from Boston, Massachusetts, I'm your host, Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. In this episode, we'll talk with Dr. Maria Scott. Dr. Scott is a professor at Emerson College's School of Communication. She's also a public relations practitioner with decades of experience working with iconic brands such as NASCAR, ESPN, the National Football League, the National Hockey League, the PGA, as well as a host of nonprofits and small businesses. Dr. Maria Scott, welcome to Campus on the Common. Could you tell us what is public relations?
1: I would love to tell you what public relations is. The best way to describe it is its messaging. Public relations professionals find the best way to get a message to the target audience. And sometimes that means knowing not only who your audience is, But what they're going to respond to and that's something different depending on if it's a product or if it's getting them to be motivated to act or just having them understand whatever you're trying to educate them about
0: so how is public relations different than marketing and advertising
1: that's also a great question and honestly something that most people just don't understand most people feel that those words are interchangeable and quite frankly they're not advertising is actually paid media placement Advertising means you are looking at, for example, how do we want to get something into the Boston Globe? We need to pay for that. So we're going to look at ad space and then they're going to say, well, what kind of ad space do we want to pay to actually get that message in front of an audience? In public relations, we don't pay for anything. It's all based on relationships, which is why that word is so important in PR, public relations. It's about making those relationships. So also the difference between public relations and marketing is marketing is usually product-based and it is attached to the bottom line. So most companies put marketing on a business platform. So they have it in like the actual business budget. So, they'll say if we're launching a new product or we need to get information out, we're going to use a marketing strategy. And that means that they're going to educate the public on what that is as opposed to message to the public. And so, when they market to the public, they're explaining here's this actual product, here's this actual piece of whatever it is it could be a new shoelace it could be anything and they're going to explain to people why they need that in pr we're not doing that we're not saying to someone hey you need to get this we're saying to someone this is it you make that decision
0: in public relations is there a unique set of skills that's different than say marketing and or advertising
1: not necessarily different than those two so students can say hey, I really like to be creative and I'm great at graphic design. And if someone says that, I'm usually like, hey, have you looked into advertising? Because you really have to have an eye for color. You have to be good at photography. You have to want to sit and do graphic design a lot for, for advertising. In PR, what you have to be good at is you have to be a good wordsmith, you have to be a phenomenal writer, and you have to be really good at research. And what I think that people don't understand is PR really is a skill-based degree and a skill-based industry. And that's one of the things that I honestly get if I'm being honest, kind of frustrated with because people will come up to me all the time and they're like, wow, you're in PR, you're in communications, so you must be really charming and people must really like to be around you. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with with my job. If I'm charming or if people like being around me, that might be a side to it. But honestly, the skills that you need, you have to be able to read research. You have to be able to create research. You have to be able to understand how to look at target audiences and say, well, why is baby boomers maybe different than Generation X and how do I write messaging that's going to make these people feel how I want them to feel or understand something and have empathy or have the motivation to, to do whatever I'm asking them to do. So that's very different to me. Then you also have to have the skill and the ability to be able to use the right words to to then prompt them to take action. And that's really where students have to understand that PR is, is largely writing, it's largely being a wordsmith. And even on the social media side, like one wrong word in social media completely changes the context of that post. I spend a lot of time with my students having them understand the difference between spoken word and written word. Those are almost two different versions of the English language as far as I'm concerned.
0: For a public relations expert to really make a difference, having the ability to write clearly is super important. Tell me about the other skills that a public relations expert would need to develop in order to really be effective.
1: Reading. And I don't just mean like, can you read a book? I mean, when someone gives you materials, so most clients walk in with an idea and they just say, I just know I want blank to be better and they don't really know how to get from point A to point B. So they'll bring in mountains of paperwork and sometimes it's business paperwork. Sometimes it's just like what's the minutia of what's been on their website and they don't really understand why. Even when someone reads a website, they're not going to page two or three. They get stuck on page one. And I can look at page one of someone's website and go, oh, I know why they're stuck on page one. And very nicely, they're just like, oh, but why? And it's because you have 6,000 words on page one. No one's going to get through that. It's a website. And when it was a storefront and you could hand someone a pamphlet or a booklet to take home, that's a very different thing. But on a website, someone wants something quick and quippy and, and easy to get through and written at an easy level. And people don't necessarily understand that. And usually the people who we work with are like dentists and doctors and people who are highly educated and they don't understand that when someone visits a website for a dentist, I don't want a detailed list of what a procedure means. That's actually pretty terrifying. I just wanna know if you can help me if my teeth hurt. And I want it to be written in a way that seems gentle and kind, like I want to go in and I want you to help me. And that's a lot of what PR is. How do, you, how do I take what you're giving me? How do I read that? How do I interpret it to my client? How do I have them understand that Like sometimes it's just a rewording issue? And then also it's client relations too. Like How do I tell that to someone in a way that's kind and gentle and understanding so that they respond to me?
0: What it sounds like is the use of narrative. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, using the website metaphor, it's narrative along with the user experience. How does a public relations expert juggle the two of those?
1: That's a great question. So a lot of times what PR professionals have to understand is we have a bunch of different audiences. And when I'm looking at my target audience as the press and I'm writing a press release, that's a very different audience than, say, a feature story or something that's on the website. That could be for the general public. And a lot of times what we have to do is sit down and explain to clients You're talking – anytime that you're kind of speaking abroad and out loud, you could be speaking to potentially six to ten different audiences, which is almost like if you were to go to like the UN and you were speaking to like six to ten different nations, you'd have to be able to speak in all those languages. And it's kind of – that's usually the analogy that I'll give to people. You're not just – saying it's not like a one-size-fits-all kind of a moment here. It really isn't because on social media, you need to have a specific voice and a specific way that you're speaking to people. On websites, you need to have a specific voice and a specific way that you're speaking to people because you never know who's just going to stumble onto your website. But in your office, you need to have a specific way and a specific voice. And so Same thing for if you're putting out a press release. The target audience for a press release is journalists. These are people who are educated. These are people who know the kinds of content that they're about to get. So all of those are different audiences. And as a PR practitioner, I'm juggling how do you shift and how do you speak to each one of those different audiences. And that goes back to the original question that you asked me, which is what is PR? My answer was PR is messaging. And my answer was, you have to know who those different target audiences are, so you're kind of constantly looking and shifting between these are my different audiences, these are the words that can be used across the board, and then these are the words that I have to shift around to make sure that whoever's receiving it is getting the exact message that I want at the time that I need for them to get it and responding in the way that I want them to.
0: How do we put together public relations strategies?
1: So that's a great question and honestly I think it's the biggest thing that not only do people coming into college don't understand but truthfully it probably takes all four years of college to become any good at and the reality is in order to be good you have to understand that you're taking all of those skills you're looking at what research can you find so secondary research that pertains to whatever questions you're asking for example. If you have a client that says, maybe is a nonprofit, and maybe that nonprofit helps veterans, and maybe that nonprofit says, you know what, we really want to get messaging out that we're here and we're in support of veterans. So then you need to be a good researcher. You go, you take all of this research that shows this is how we message to veterans. So, okay, you have that research now, but what do you do with it? What do you do with what you've learned? This is where strategy comes into play. Strategy is you take. What you've learned from that research and then you develop an actual overarching strategy that incorporates when you deploy those messages how do you incorporate social media what do you send to the press versus post on a website what do you actually say to the actual people people as opposed to put onto paper or Deploy through other channels. What you're doing with a strategy is you're looking at a holistic plan from beginning to end and incorporating things like actual calendar elements, actual pieces that might be. Everyone likes infographics and and cool things that are more visual. So, how do you incorporate imagery? How do you incorporate just things that are straight up words? How do you incorporate maybe like a really motivational speech by someone like a former president, like a Roosevelt? How do you? bring all of those different pieces together and then when do you deploy something like a really motivational statement? When is that best to send to people? Because if you just lob it out there at the beginning, maybe that's not gonna get the best response. What a strategy looks at is it looks at like, if you're starting one month and you're ending at a certain month, how do you actually weave all of these different pieces together keeping in mind what you learned from your research but also what you know about the audiences that you have to speak to and the messaging channels that you have to incorporate. It's really complicated because there's a lot of pieces to it and that's where I think people fall short and then they just do the easiest thing.
0: You've provided public relations services to some of this country's most iconic sports organizations. Could you give us some examples of the application of the strategies for some of those organizations?
1: Sure, take the NFL for example. I had the opportunity when I was first starting my career to actually work with the NFL for the Super Bowl. And the way that the NFL looks at it is, okay, that is their penultimate event at the very end of the entire NFL season. However, they actually want you to start building up to that before the first game. So they actually came to us in the host city and said, how do we have, a Super Bowl kickoff party prior to the first game of the season, and that's a really interesting strategy because in a host city, the team has n- no host city's team. So, for example, Tampa was hosting the Super Bowl. The Bucks have never actually been in the Super Bowl, so no host city's team has ever actually been in the Super Bowl. So, you're actually hosting a preseason party in a town that the team is most likely not going to actually be in the championship game. You're really trying to get the people in the town excited, but also trying to get the nation excited about something that essentially is six, seven months away. And that's a really strange strategy if you think of it, but how do you get people to think about the season as a whole and not just one game at a time? and have people really want to think about traveling to a destination once in a lifetime experience. And that's sort of what the NFL was always hoping for
0: us to do as sort of the
1: host committee to the Super Bowl.
0: What were some of the tactics you'd actually deploy in order to build this interest?
1: One of the things that we actually did was we would come up with other activities and we would actually promote what those other activities are. Because as you know, like most people who go to a Super Bowl, you have your diehard fans. You have the people who are like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I've always wanted to do this. This has been on my like bucket list level of things. But most people who go, don't actually go for just a day or two days. They actually go for four or five days. And in order to entertain those people, I mean, honestly, the game is like a five, six hour endeavor. And you're asked to entertain people for essentially five days so what does that mean that means you have to have engaging enriching activities that are appropriate for people of all ages and all types of people one of the things that the nfl has done for many years is they have something called taste of the nfl and they actually bring chefs in from all the cities that have nfl teams and it's a really cool event, but it's something that's a little more high end and it's something that people can pay and go to. So if you're a foodie, this would be like the ultimate sports foodie experience and, and it's been going on for many, many years, way before sort of the term foodie even existed. It's so really cool thing for someone to be able to do, but we had to promote that these things exist because when people start to plan that trip, they wanna start to plan what that really means to them. Because if you're doing a bucket list level trip, you're going to start to look at it and go like wow what are all these extras i can add in what can i buy if i want to go to nfl experience which is an opportunity for you to actually play a punt game actually throw a football and try to hit it through to a wide receiver's arms and so you have all these like really cool kind of more sports oriented experiences what can you actually do? Who is that for? I mean, that's obviously not for a couple that's a little bit older, but it would be something that would be great for a family. It just depends on what community you're in and what city you're in, but that's what we were asked to do. We were asked to promote what are all the things that these people can do, whether they're specifically football related, they're kind of football adjacent, and they appeal to a bunch of different people in and around the game itself. Because again, the game is just a five hour experience.
0: The 3D approach to fan engagement is fascinating. How do you go about the process of determining what type of activities would be appealing to the variety of different audiences that might attend a Super Bowl?
1: That's actually something that the NFL works really closely with the host committee on. So cities actually bid in advance to host the, the Super Bowl. And part of their host package includes a sampling of what some of the activities that they could see actually creating to have during that week. So some of the staples that the NFL kind of brings with them are those two that I just mentioned, NFL Experience and Taste of the NFL. Those are actually NFL-based experiences. Then the host committee actually on top of those experiences has to host a array of other activities. One of the other activities is something like a media party and that's for the more than 3,200 press that descend onto the host city. There's a whole bunch of other activities that the city is is sort of like required to create, but what those activities are sort of depends on like what the city is all about. One of them has to be a cultural activity. So a cultural activity in say a city like New Orleans is going to be very different than like a cultural activity in a city like Tampa, which was my first Super Bowl. Since Tampa has a history, a rich history of having pirates and that kind of thing, the actual invasion of Jose Gaspar turned into a celebration that Tampa's been doing for many years. It's actually a celebration called Gasparilla. And even though it's not technically usually held at the beginning of the year, it's usually more like February, March, April time, we actually move rations. So it was really cool for the city of Tampa to be able to say like, okay, this isn't typically when this parade is held and when this celebration is done, but we're gonna move it just to show the nation this really cool cultural activity that we already do. And we're already really proud of. So that's kind of the things that you're supposed to do. The NFL kind of makes like almost like a punch list of these are the kind of things that we would like to see you do and then however the city chooses to execute them is sort of up to the city. In order to put the bid together, in addition to demonstrating how you're gonna have transportation, enough hotel rooms, and all these other things, you also have to show how you're gonna actually have these activities.
0: The process you applied in order to get this bid together for Tampa and the NFL, would that be similar for other organizations such as NASCAR or ESPN?
1: Not exactly. Host committees, any community can try to put together a bid to host something like the Final Four for the NCAA, to host something like the USA Gymnastics Championships. What these actual organizations do, the sporting organizations do, is they actually put out to any city in the country that wants to kind of host these things what the an RFP, which is a request for proposals and what it actually says is these are the requirements if you want to host this event so like for example for something like gymnastics you would have to have an indoor space you would have to have blank number of hotel rooms you'd have to have so it just depends on like if your city's interested in hosting something like that obviously the economic impact of the city is what usually makes cities bid on things like this For the Super Bowl, they used to have the caveat in there that you either had to have a closed ability to close the roof or, like, good weather, right? Because they didn't want to have to have a Super Bowl in snow. So, clearly. I
0: guess New England's out in in that regard.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it just depends. Like, I don't know what the new ones, with the new RFPs have because I haven't been part of it in several years. But I think that the fan experience is something that they want people to really enjoy. And I think that things like taste of the NFL, NFL experience, a lot of those things are just held in tents outside. And that's part of no in a foot of snow that would be really challenging.
0: (laughs) It's interesting, the various skills that are required to be a public relations expert. We've talked about narrative. We've talked about messaging. What about the role of logistics? How do you account for all these logistics, hotels and arena, venue, et cetera, along with the narrative? It just seems like there's so many moving parts that you would have to oversee. How do you manage all that?
1: I think that's different for my experience than maybe someone who goes into a different part of PR. My background is sports and entertainment. And in sports and entertainment, you have to also understand what is typically known as media operations. And media operations is how to cater to the press. So that's setting up a proper press room it is understanding things like risk management and while a lot of people are just like wait you had to understand risk management and i'm like yes i have to know how many electrical drops you can have in a room before that is going to upset the fire marshal it's weird things like that but that's specific to the industry that i was in i have plenty of pr counterparts who do more hospitality pr or do more travel and tourism and that's not part of their responsibility because it just isn't part of what they have to do for their job But the base skills that we talked about before, the writing, the messaging, the research, the strategy, they all have to be just as good at that as I I did. The difference between my job and their job was they get to go to Bermuda and go and pitch something about Bermuda or the Bahamas or Utah or New York or Boston, and they get to actually go and pitch about things like that or a brand new hotel that's opening or a resort, whereas I was actually pitching and I was actually promoting sporting and entertainment events. I think the difference is it just depends on what kind of PR you wanna work in. I have friends who work in healthcare PR and work for hospitals and they love what they do. I have friends who work in nonprofits and they love what they do. So it really just depends on your interest level with what you wanna do. Remember that there's variety of what people can go into with PR and one of the reasons why I think it's such a cool thing to not only study but actually work in is I have always felt very fortunate that I have actually gone into a number of different areas. I've done a lot with nonprofits. I do have a background in public service in terms of the military and that kind of avenue. In addition to that, I also have had the opportunity to do sports and entertainment, but my sports and entertainment was under the NFL and ESPN, which are huge corporations. Even though they were sports and entertainment, they were also kind of corporate because I had corporate policies to follow. In PR, those basic skills are there, but you I think the coolest thing is you can pick up and you can transfer into something else. I know two of my really good friends who started out in fashion, kind of the fashion, beauty, accessory side of things, have now that they're settled down, they have kids, they have a different life for themselves, have now gone into nonprofits where they have a lot more time, they can clock out at five, the media isn't calling them at midnight, asking them questions, and their lifestyle's very different and because they were able to move up they're in the kind of toll in the big scheme of things, they do make decent money, they are able to like contribute to their family, so they have, it just depends also on what your interests are and how you wanna balance that work-life balance.
0: To be an effective public relations expert, do you have to be an extrovert?
1: You know, that's tough, because I think the answer is, you don't have to be an extrovert. I don't know that I consider myself to actually be an extrovert, I think, You can't be afraid, though, and I think it's probably more fear-based. I think you can't be afraid to talk to people. I think you can't be afraid to take risks, to write things, to know when you need to maybe push back on someone a little bit. And what I mean by that is like sometimes my supervisors, people have come to me and said, why do we need to do this or do we really need to pitch this this way? And my answer is yes, and I need to stand my ground and kind of support my stance to that. Also, when working with the press, they'll come back and say, well, <clears throat> we want to do the story in a different way. And I'm sometimes I have to kind of push back with them and say, that's fine, we're just not going to be able to supply anyone because we stay on the ethical side of things. Or just we'll just provide a different viewpoint. I, I guess if you were an extreme introvert and you really just can't talk to others, can't put yourself out there, and wouldn't be able to call someone out of the blue and have a conversation, it probably would be challenging for you. But I think there's a lot of people who probably are somewhere in the middle. They're not an extrovert, but they're not really an introvert. They're kind of like right on the line in between, but it's a little bit fear-based and they're afraid to make that first phone call or they're afraid to do that, but they're good at establishing relationships and they have relationships in their personal life And what they don't understand is that's mostly what PR is about. It's building those relationships.
0: Having the ability to build a relationship. Are there any other common characteristics that you've seen amongst successful public relations people?
1: Probably my favorite PR people and the people who I personally think are the most successful are people who have a strong ethical and moral base, are able to stick with that and are able to parlay that into part of their work. And sort of what I mean by that is, you know, the basis of PR was actually founded and that's what PRSA is kind of known for and that's why we have professional organizations in PR. But there is an actual ethical like charter and there's kind of things that we follow. And I think that's really interesting in public relations. The agencies that actually will say no to clients And we'll actually say like, no, because of your practices, we won't take you on as a client. Or because we already have another client, we don't want to double dip and we we don't want to dishonor them by taking on someone who's their competition. And so to me, that's really interesting. And I think that that's kind of a cool part of our practice.
0: If you were to offer three pieces of advice to a young person that wants to get into this industry, what would those be?
1: My first piece of advice would be don't be afraid to get out there and get experience and usually that means starting with volunteer work starting with people who need your help the most so going to nonprofits and saying hi folks i saw that your social media needs some help or hey do you i could help you get some press for this charity event that you're doing can i try to write a press release for you can i try to help you out a bit and i think that that's something that young people seem like go-getters right up until they get pushed to actually go and get And then they don't and that's what i would like to see them challenge themselves with more the other the second piece of advice is life isn't about a prescribed pathway and i see a lot of people come to me and say this is my plan for graduation and they have like one year two year here's what i'm going to do by year three and i look at it and i kind of giggle and i love that they think that it's going to work out that way but nothing in my life worked out that way and i look back and think i had a great career so all I would say to people is just be fluid and just enjoy the ride and keep moving forward and don't be afraid to take advantage of an opportunity if it comes to you. Because if something great comes in front of you, jump on it and don't be afraid to, to take that opportunity and challenge yourself. And even if it's outside what you thought you wanted to do, you never know where that road's gonna lead you because the best things I ever did all open doors to, to new things. The last piece of advice I would have is just, Don't worry about how much money is this gonna make me and how much is this gonna impact that down the road. Everything doesn't have to connect. You can do this for a little while and decide. I have essentially had three completely separate careers (laughs) and I don't mind. Probably four or five if you really want to count everything I've ever done. And I don't mind that people may think and look back and think, well, this one doesn't make sense. And I actually took a pay cut to come from this one to go to that one. I feel like that's something that people also need to be less worried. And I think young people, because their lives are so visible on social media, they get really worried about like, well, what are other people going to say? And the reality is you're really the only person who has to answer for your life. Be less worried about that because... Your career is your career, and it should just make you happy.
0: You've been listening to Campus on the Common, the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. We spoke with Dr. Maria Scott, an expert in public relations and professor at Emerson College. I'm your host, Mark Brody. We had engineering support from David Craighead and editorial direction from Andrew Cassidy. Campus on the Common is a production of Emerson College School of Communications. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.